welcome in everyone and thank you for listening to the 17th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording actually for this episode Kyle and producer Cameron are recording from Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield Missouri while I am recording from my hotel room in a cold windy Fort Worth Texas I of course am one of your hosts Cameron Albert alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan Kyle DeVries how you doing today Kyle oh, I'm doing great how are you doing Cameron you're uh, you're in a foreign land yeah, um, hopefully, just a warning to all the listeners, hopefully the audio works out. Um, I'm recording the audio on my end, and then we're going to send it to producer Cameron. So if it doesn't, if my end doesn't sound quite as good as usual, um, excuse us for this one. And then we'll be, all, all three of us will be back in the studio together next week, hopefully. But uh, we couldn't skip this week because there's a lot to talk about. Um, we've got several basketball games coming up we've got uh, the end of football season coming this way so um, without further ado I guess we'll jump into a few news items Uh, first thing I've got is Kelly Bryant former Clemson quarterback who Missouri has been targeting Uh, as a transfer he is going to choose where he's going to go to school next year on December 4th so not too far away and uh, pretty soon we'll know what's going to happen with him. Yeah, this is a pretty big decision that uh, a lot of schools are fighting for Kelly Bryant's services, and uh, I know Mizzou could use him really badly. Um, they feel pretty good about it. We've seen some rumors on Twitter and stuff like that that, that uh, Mizzou likes its its position with Kelly Bryant, but they've got a lot of other schools out there that have a lot to sell as well. Um, so I kind of hope we don't see him in Arkansas, but I know that he's got a good connection there with uh, with Chad Morris. So um, he's got a couple more visits to take. I think he's still going to go to Auburn and Mississippi State maybe are the two schools that he still has to go to. So long ways to go on this one still, but I think Mizzou is in a decent position to uh, to land him. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what's going to happen there. I, I don't think anybody really does, but I won't be surprised either way. I mean, I... I the way things are going, I won't be shocked. I mean, it sounded like, based on some interviews he gave and stuff, that he really liked his visit to Columbia. So I won't be surprised if he picks Missouri, but I won't be too devastated if he goes somewhere else either. Yeah, um, obviously he'd walk into a pretty pretty good situation at uh, Mizzou with a lot of returning talent. And uh, right. I think that it, it would complete you know, a piece of the puzzle that we otherwise might be missing. But... Um, we got a long way to go till next year. So, right. Uh, some more recruiting news: uh, the Missouri basketball recruits on the men's and women's side uh, signed their letters of intent today. Um, so that includes Trey Jackson, um, who Missouri just picked up on that flip from Minnesota. So, and of course Mario McKinney, who they secured earlier. Um, just good to see Penn being put to paper and locking in those commitments. Yeah, especially in football, it seems like these days commitments don't mean a whole lot. So it's good to, uh, like you said, see that that got inked. And uh, uh, I watched Trey Jackson's film again today, just as a, a you know a little pick me up. But uh, it just reminded <laughs> me of of how important of a piece I think he's going to be to uh, this recruiting class, and uh, brings a, a lot of versatility Dead. to uh, the team that I think is going to make a significant impact, uh, probably Definitely. right away. I totally agree. And then um, the news came through this morning that Kobe Brown, who's a guy that Missouri had their eye on, um, another basketball target, he did end up choosing Texas A&M. So there was rumors that uh, he was leaning towards Missouri. It seemed kind of wide open, but in the end, he will stay in the SEC, but he chooses Texas A&M. Yeah, I was really hoping to land Kobe Brown and Kelly Bryant so we could combine them and have Kobe Bryant um, in our <laughs> Mizzou athletics department, but uh, maybe we can still get at least half the equation. Yeah, that would be a, a nice consolation prize. Uh, you got any <laughs> other news items of note? Um, you know, there's a lot going on right now, but I think that, that does it for any significant news. Yeah. Um, I think we'll just stick with basketball this time. Uh, Last week we did football first, so um, we'll we'll go with basketball first this time and sort of get the worst news of the episode out of the way early because we have to 
somehow recap this Iowa State game uh, that Missouri unfortunately participated in last Friday. Um, Missouri starters in that game were the same as their first game. We had Jordan Geist, Mark Smith, Javon Pickett, and uh, Kevin Purrier and Jeremiah Tillman. Things did not go well for Missouri in this one. They ended up losing uh, 59 to 76. This was on the road in Ames, Iowa. And this was super ugly game from start to finish um, for those that actually got to watch it from start to finish. The TV situation was a mess, so I don't think very many people actually got to see the whole game. But I don't think they were missing out on much. Yeah, unfortunately, I paid the $7 <laughs> for Cyclone TV, whatever in the world it was. Um, yeah, the, the game started out okay. Um, both teams were putting up bricks all over the place, but Mizzou was hanging with them. In fact, they had a lead for a lot of the first half. Um, but as you mentioned, things went south pretty quickly. Um, probably halfway through the first half or so, the turnovers started to catch up with Mizzou. Uh, Iowa State got hot, even though uh, Shayok, I yeah. believe was his name, got in foul trouble. He had three fouls in the first half. Um, but that was there was too many options for Iowa State, uh, and they were too much for Missouri. Yeah, I watched like the first ten minutes of it on Iowa State basketball's Twitter account. They f- were broadcasting it for some reason. Uh, I don't know why, but then that went away. So I listened to um, the rest of the first half and probably half the second half on on the radio, and it was just not stuff you want to hear i mean just like you said the turnovers missouri finished with 25 turnovers on the game which is just an insane number um the percentage of their possessions that ended in a turnover was one of the highest that uh ken palm the website uh has ever seen so because it was a slow paced game and they turned it over that many times it's just you're not going to get a lot done on offense and like you said, they kind of hung with Iowa State for a little while. Um, that was basically just because Iowa State couldn't make a basket. So when their shooting kind of leveled off, then they just kind of ran away with it. Yeah, the turnovers were an issue with this team last year. Um, was kind of hoping that some of those issues would go away. Maybe some of the ball handlers on this team would develop uh, a little bit better as far as keeping you know the ball on Mizzou's side. Uh, what we've seen so far this year, that is not happening. Uh, I saw an interview with Kevin Purrier today where he was basically asked, um, how does the turnover situation in the Iowa State game kind of reflect or compare to uh, what you've seen you know, in the, in the few games this year, maybe in the exhibition games or the secret scrimmages? Uh, and he didn't really deny that the, you know he kind of said the turnovers have been there all year um so i think that will be something that continues to happen all year long um we just we know that these guards are maybe playing a little bit out of their natural positions and um some of them are young so it's just we're i think we're going to see it all year long hopefully not tur- 25 turnovers a night obviously we're not going to beat anybody with that but um it'll be interesting to, to watch the guards develop or hopefully develop. Yeah, I mean this this yeah, this one in particular that was absolutely the difference in the game because Missouri actually shot decently, um 56% from 2 and 35% from 3 and they actually out-rebounded Iowa State 35 to 26. So um I mean, you just have sort of a normal game with turnovers. Like take 10 of those turnovers away, 15 still not amazing and then they're right in that game till the end i think so um jordan geist had was part of the ball control issue at the beginning of last year but it seemed like during sec play he really improved that in that area didn't turn the ball over very much was not racking up assists or anything but he kind of just played it safe and um that really helped missouri down the stretch so i don't know if he'll just kind of get back in the groove hopefully um but it's it's awful to watch when they're just throwing the ball around the court like that and they can't get any flow on offense and it's it's gonna it will spiral a season pretty quickly if if that's a consistent thing so obviously they're just gonna have to work on that tirelessly until they can kind of shore that up yeah jordan geist and kevin perrier being kind of the senior leaders on this team have um been a little underwhelming if you will so far um 
would like to see those guys uh, take over the game a little bit more. Um, either that or, you know, Pickett and Torrance Wanted are going to have to uh, grow up really quick. Yeah, I mean, um, Jeremiah Tillman and Mark Smith were still two of the better players um, statistically for Missouri. Um, they were still scoring the ball decently. Torrance Watson had a little bit better game scoring the ball. But um, it was just crazy, the turnovers. I mean, like, multiple guys with four and five turnovers on the game. And, like, Jeremiah Tillman, I think, had four or five. Mark Smith had several. And it's just – it wasn't like it was just – one position or one guy it was just non-stop the entire game it was off of post entries they toss it down to the post and they turn it over um i think reed nico had only played like less than 10 minutes and had two turnovers so it was literally just all over the court and i i, th- I do think part of it though is that environment i mean playing on the road at iowa state is tough they have an incredible winning percentage at home um over the year so that's that's asking a lot. I, it really, I compare it a little bit to the game against Utah last year, and I know some people were doing this on Twitter, but um, they went into Utah, which is a tough place to play, and got beat pretty handily. Um, it wasn't as much with the turnovers last year as they just couldn't shoot the ball. Missouri couldn't, so, um, and we know that turned around. So, hopefully, the turnovers can can turn around as well. And when you're just, I mean, that environment is is special, but. I anticipate Missouri losing a lot of road games this season and um, winning the majority of their home games, which is kind of what middling teams do. So I wouldn't expect very many road wins based on what we saw at Iowa State. Yeah, I think if you were surprised to see kind of a clunker of a game from Mizzou, um, you're you're probably not paying attention very well. that it's going to happen this year. We're going to see a lot of those ugly games where Missouri doesn't score a lot of points and, and they lose games, especially on the road, like you said. Um, so I think we're just going to have to expect that from this team this year. Uh, I think that we can still have a, have a solid year. We're going to need Tillman to to be a little better. and, and Or maybe it's... Uh, Maybe we just need him to take more shots, and we need somebody else to to be a threat down low because he's getting swarmed with the double teams, and um, he's got to be decisive with with the ball. Once he sees the double team coming, he's going to have to get the ball out of there quick, or or something, because uh, that's where a lot of some of our turnovers came from was Tillman getting overwhelmed with the double teams and not having a place to throw it out. So I think that is going to happen a lot this year. Tillman's going to see the double teams. You know, he's the the clear. Uh, offensive threat that teams see now on the scouting report. Yeah, and that kind of it showcased what he lacks that Jonte Porter has, and it's just the vision with passing the ball. We talked about it last year over and over again about how incredible Jonte was. It just he would almost by the time he caught the ball, he already knew what he was going to do with it, and he'd whip that ball right back out to the perimeter and the the help guy bringing the double team would still be standing in front of him. So it'd lead to wide open threes and stuff like that. And I don't know that Tillman has that in his repertoire or that anticipation quite yet, but hopefully that's something he'll grow into. And I do think it's worth noting that um, Iowa State was without Lindell Wigington in this one. So if there was ever a time where um, Missouri was going to get a solid road win against Iowa State, it was going to be that night because um I, I think with Wigington on the floor, you would have seen Iowa State not struggle as much early scoring the ball, and it probably would have been uglier than it was. I think I said last week that um, Iowa State would – I predicted Iowa State to win, but not by as much as Missouri beat them last season. And I don't have it in front of me, but I think they matched it or were very close think, to the same. I think it was uh, two points away. This, I think Iowa State scored 76 and Missouri scored like 74 or something like that last year. So, very accurate. So, um, anything else you want to say about that Iowa State game? I'm kind of ready to move on because that was terrible. And I just, I hope and I do anticipate that Missouri will not have too many games quite that awful. Um, Because even losing by 20 points is... That's never fun, but when you're turning the ball over 25 times and just not getting shots up at the end of possessions, it just makes it unbearable to watch. So I don't think we'll see that too many more times this year. 
Yeah, good, good growing experience uh, for Mizzou. I think there's better days ahead. All right, so hopefully we'll see one of those better days um, on Friday. So uh, they play Kennesaw State. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that will absolutely be a better day uh, because they are um, only one and two on the season, Kennesaw State. Their only win was against a D2 school called Oglethorpe who they beat by 11 points. They already lost to K-State this year pretty handily. And then they lost to Samford on the road, who um, is ranked 280th in uh, Ken Palm rankings. Uh, Kennesaw State themselves is currently ranked 327. So this is by far the worst team Missouri will play this year. They're from the athletic or sorry, the Atlantic Sun Conference, and they, uh, according to Ken Palm, are going to finish 11 with 11 losses, 5 and 11, in a pretty weak conference. So, um, it's this is a perfect bounce back game opportunity for Missouri. Yeah, that big win against Oglethorpe scares me a little bit, but other than that, I think we'll probably <laughs> pull this one out. Um, it looks like they, you know, actually held K State to. A pretty low amount of points. I don't know if K-State is offensively challenged. I don't know if Kennesaw State uh, is actually decent at defense. I don't know. I think they've got some length down low, but other than that, I really don't know anything about them, to be completely honest. Yeah, that game against K-State was uh, terrible shooting by both teams all night, so um, really low shooting percentages there, So, and um, a slow-paced game, so I think that combination contributed to the low point total there, but yeah, Oglethorpe sounds like a like a football team that Nebraska schedules or something like that. So, um, <laughs> not too terribly scared of them. But uh, there's really not much to say about Kennesaw State. This this should be um, a fairly easy victory for Missouri. They've played you know teams in the Ken Palm 300 level a few times over the past few years. They've all been 20 point wins even uh, before. Conzo Martin took over, so it shouldn't be an issue. Um, that would lead into a game against the winner of Oregon State and Old Dominion. Oregon State is ranked 84 in Kempom, and Old Dominion is ranked 94. So a pretty evenly matched game there. Kempom actually has Oregon State by like a point in their projections. So I think we really could see either one of these teams in the semifinals of this tournament. Yeah, I'd be kind of surprised to see Old Dominion, uh, but you never know what can happen in college basketball. Uh, I think Oregon State is is a tough matchup if if we end up seeing them. So, uh, but like we talked about earlier with Iowa State, um, it's it's good experience to play teams with experience. They have a lot of returning players, uh, so you know it wouldn't be the worst thing ever to uh, to go against some some tough players who know what they're doing. Yeah, Oregon State's 2-0. They do, like you said, have experience. They've got uh, two senior leaders that they rely on quite a bit. Um, Their two wins so far are not too terribly impressive. They beat um, UC Riverside and Wyoming, who are both... um, Wyoming is the better team at uh, 170 ranking in Kempom, so uh, nothing too impressive so far for them, still early in the season, but I think they just match up well with Missouri, being an experienced team. Um, They shoot the ball well, they don't turn the ball over, they don't force too many turnovers either, which is a plus for Missouri in that matchup, but um, they kind of just play a slow a slow pace and they're just willing to run the clock down force you to defend the entire shot clock and then they just consistently take smart shots make good decisions so i think so far they're kind of the anti-missouri as far as taking good shots making good decisions and not turning the ball over yeah that sounds like a team that i don't really want to play against (laughs) <laughs> but like you said, they've they've played against some pretty inferior competition so far, so it's tough to know um, how they might play under pressure when they've got you know a little bit uh, tougher game on their hands. Uh, a little bit of a random note here, but I'm not really sure how to watch this watch these games. I think there's like an online stream that's like thirty dollars for like a month or something, like a month subscription. Uh, I forget what it's called, but that's probably not something I will be doing. Um, I don't know about you. You know, I, being out of town, I haven't even looked at 
trying to figure out what the TV options are. So um, I have no idea. I'll, I guess I'll try to see what's going on. Um, I'll be getting back into Springfield on Friday, so I uh, may just listen to it on the radio. I don't know, but um, yeah, that's always disappointing. I think we're spoiled, though, with the SEC Network just getting to watch every game and watch the, the replay being available. So these early yeah. season games can be a challenge as far as the, the viewing experience. Um, yeah, we'll try to bring some analysis, even though we may not be able to watch it, though. So uh, there's yeah. no eye test. Right, exactly. Um, I think to close out Oregon State here, I think the biggest problem Missouri will have will just be with the experience. I think they'll be able to, Oregon State will be able to take advantage of Missouri's youth because it'll be seniors going up against freshmen um, as far as the guards go. And they do have good size. Um, They've got some traditional bigs that'll challenge uh, Jeremiah Tillman, but I think we will just keep saying it all year. If Missouri's going to win that game, it's going to be on the back of Jeremiah Tillman and with some hopefully decent shooting from the guards if they can do that then i think they'll have a chance but i will actually feel much better about their chances if old dominion is able to beat oregon state because i think they they match up a little bit better a little bit better with them um they old dominion they shoot well from three um, but they haven't played any really good defenses so far um they play a pretty traditional lineup in the one through five spots and they actually have a top 10 lowest tempo in the in the whole country so i think missouri matches up decently with them i think missouri would try to push the pace and get out in transition and score um it'll be it'd be interesting to see missouri try to do that because i think they would definitely have the athletic advantage over old dominion um but I, I think I would at this point I would predict Missouri to lose to Oregon State, but actually I think they would be able to beat Old Dominion if if they were able to pull the upset and then find themselves in the championship. So I'll be rooting for Old Dominion over Oregon State just for the opportunity to get into the championship. Although playing Oregon State would probably be a better experience for the team in the long run. What do you think? What are your predictions? I'm thinking they uh, they win, obviously, against Kennesaw State, easy. Um, probably lose to Oregon State, but I think they would be Old Dominion. I agree. And do you know who they would play if, they, if that happened? Let's say they lose to Oregon State. Who do they play in, like, a – do they play, like, a um, consolation game? Uh, yeah, uh, most likely they'd be playing Penn uh, okay. from the Ivy League, and they would be favored in that game. Uh, most likely so okay so still it's, have a it's chance not at another another win there it's not a great field as far as trying to bolster that uh ncaa tournament resume uh definitely the the goal here is is to get to the championship and have a matchup against kansas state who's kind of the headliner of this tournament uh yeah th- before jonte goes down i say we're probably looking at a matchup of, with mizzou and kansas state uh now I don't really know. Everything's kind of up in the air right now, and I don't. I definitely don't think a loss to Oregon State or Old Dominion is out of the question. Um, but I think that that'll be a pretty good matchup um, with most likely Oregon State. I think that's a pretty evenly matched team with Mizzou. I think those are two teams that could find themselves maybe on the bubble this year. Um, I don't know the strength of Oregon State's competition in conference, but I think they. You never know what you can do with a lot of returning talent. So um, that could end up being a game that, if they win, does look does look good on um, on a resume. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to mention. I think Oregon State will keep climbing in the in the Ken Palm rankings this year. I think they'll be they'll be a tough out uh, for any top team in the Pac-12 this year. Um, so that's definitely something that I'll keep my eye on as the season goes on to see how they're doing in the in their conference standings. But I think if Missouri was able to win that, it would definitely look good on their uh, resume by the end of the season. But yeah, I think with Kansas State, that was definitely the whoever decided these uh, these teams for the tournament definitely had K State and Mizzou as the one two. They're not officially seeded one through eight, but um, Missouri going into this season was the clear two seed. Um, with Jonte going down, that opens things up. I mean, two through four kind of 
a toss-up. Yeah, these uh, these holiday tournaments are a lot of fun, though, regardless of, well, maybe I shouldn't say regardless of what happens because I might be um, not real happy if Mizzou has an, has an early exit or, or loses to a team that shouldn't lose to. But um, just as far as the landscape goes of all college basketball, it's just a fun time of year, kind of get to check out all the new teams or, uh, on the new season and see how everybody's doing, um, see how they've uh, regressed or improved from last year. Um, so a lot, a lot of fun matchups uh, happen in the next week or so in, in some of these tournaments. Yeah, next time Missouri's playing in a nice uh, warm place like the Virgin Islands or the uh, Battle for Atlantis or something, we should just take a podcast trip uh, down there and watch them live and record from uh, the Bahamas or something. I think I could put up with that. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm ready to move on to football. So uh, we'll start with a recap of Missouri's win against Vanderbilt. That was a pretty stressful game, and it was wonderful to see Missouri come out on top at the end of another stressful game. Yeah, anytime you can get a conference win, it's a good thing. Um, I definitely, well... If you asked me maybe a couple weeks ago, I would have said of the last three games, Vanderbilt's probably the toughest team of the last three games out of Vanderbilt, Tennessee, and Arkansas that Mizzou has on their schedule. Um, After the way Tennessee has played lately, I'm not sure that I could say that, but um, it's still good to see Mizzou get a uh, tough win over Vanderbilt. Yeah, so um, we'll jump into the recap here Um, on Vanderbilt's first possession. it didn't take him very long to score. Um, Keyshawn Vaughn, he kind of tore up the defense all game. Uh, the second time he touched the ball, he went 65 yards for a touchdown. So very quickly, it was 7-0 Vandy. And I was not really concerned because big plays like that happen. Um, but spoiler alert, it became a trend that Missouri was going to give up big plays a lot in this game and have a lot of missed tackles. And it was going to be kind of ended up being pretty frustrating for the defense, I think. Yeah, it was honestly pretty surprising to me um, that Keyshawn Vaughn had so much success on Saturday. Um, That's really the one part of Mizzou's defense that's been kind of a staple is uh, the run defense. Um, I think maybe I underestimated how good Vaughn was. I think maybe even this defense underestimated how good he was. Uh, I also think it's a combination of it was really cold and it was an 11 a.m. game against Vanderbilt. And I think the team looked like they were still half asleep out there, at least early on. Yeah. Um, the the defense definitely struggled, but the offense came right back out. They answered with a 75-yard drive um, featuring passes um, to uh, Hall and Johnson that eventually set up an eight-yard uh, Demaria Crockett touchdown run. So they evened the score up immediately. Um, but then Vanderbilt answered again uh, with uh, another touchdown drive, a couple long passes in there, some more missed tackles, and Vanderbilt's up 14-7. to Then on the very next Missouri offensive possession, Drew Locke was picked off. So um, that set up a field goal try for Vanderbilt that was missed. But I think at that point, I realized this is this is not going to be a, a gimme. I mean, Missouri could run off 21 straight points, you know, but the way they were missing tackles and um, when you just miss a field goal at the end of a drive, it's just kind of like, okay, it's, it's going to be one of those days. Yeah, I don't think I was necessarily worried at this point, but certainly uh, thinking, okay, Missouri's got to wake up and, and snap out of it here. Uh, can't sleep. Can't sleepwalk through uh, very many SEC games. Yeah. So then the teams traded three and outs on the next four possessions. They just went back and forth punting the ball, and then Missouri did make a field goal to cut the lead to fourteen to ten. Um, and we actually did get to see Simi Bakari for the first time um, backing up the running backs with um, Tyler Beatty being out. So it was kind of cool to see him get a, get a couple plays in there. Yeah, he's uh, w- which was a surprise to me, but I learned that he actually uh, shed the red shirt in that game. That was his fifth game played, apparently, because I guess he's played on some special teams packages and stuff. But yeah, it was his first carry of his career, and uh, th- yeah, he's, like you said, twelve yard run. Uh, it looked really good, and it's it's nice to know that uh, we have so much depth at the running back position because we still have. Uh, Dawson Downing that's like our fifth string as well if you know some of these guys get hurt so a lot of versatility in the running back room 
Yeah, definitely. Um, Vanderbilt answered with an 11-play touchdown drive. That was the one that featured the fourth-and-one conversion. Um and then some more long passes from quarterback Kyle Shermer. So uh, we talked about him sort of in the preview as being, you know, an experienced guy who is efficient and will take advantage of mediocre and bad defenses. And with, I wouldn't say that, so I would say so far this season, Missouri's defense has been good, but they had a mediocre day and he was definitely able to take advantage and Vanderbilt went up 21 to 10. Um, Missouri did end the half with a 39-yard field goal by Tucker McCann to make the halftime score 21-13. So if you didn't think so already, uh, by halftime, you had to be slightly worried that um, Vanderbilt was the was the better team in the first half. They executed better, looked more focused, and um, Missouri was going to have to come back now. Yeah, talking about Shermer, um, it's definitely one of those situations where um, you could just see the confidence in him before the ball even before you could even see the receiver in um, in the view of the TV camera. You just knew it was going to be completed because he was just rifling the ball out. He was getting his feet set. He was looking confident. Uh, had his shoulders squared. Like everything looked good. And we've seen that from quarterbacks before earlier this year. Uh, the Purdue quarterback. Um, Blau, you know, you can just tell that before the ball even comes out of his hand that he's got somebody wide open. Uh, and that is not a great thing if you're <laughs> wanting the defense to make a stop. So uh, we saw a lot of that in the first half. Um, still, you know, Vanderbilt, you know, like we said, was going to be efficient. Uh, wasn't going to light up the scoreboard necessarily, though. So even after what seemed like so much success, they only had a one touchdown lead. Yeah, Missouri was right in it. I mean, I w- it wasn't time to panic or anything, but you just knew, you know, coming from behind with the way Missouri is executing, they're going to have to do a lot better in the second half. And um, the offense definitely woke up. They stopped settling for field goal tries. Um, on the first possession of the second half, they had a 80-yard touchdown drive. They just decided to pound the ball on the ground. Larry Roundtree and Crockett just um, started ripping off nice runs um they did they were the benefit of a questionable pass interference call um and then eventually that set up a nice catch and run by crockett um for the score so then it was only a two-point game they did go they went for the two-point conversion and failed so it was 21 19 vanderbilt uh but vanderbilt answered immediately with uh some big chunk plays through the air um and then they found the end zone to make it 28 19 But then uh, another touchdown by Missouri made it a two-point game again. They just kept running the ball, and um, that was the one that ended with what I would consider an unlikely 20-yard completion to Daniel Parker Jr. So it was run, 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 and then with Parker stepping right in to the Albert O role and taking that over-the-middle pass where he pretended to be a blocker and then was wide open for the score so that was really fun to see but Missouri starting the second half moved the ball at will basically yeah Daniel Parker Jr. definitely he's had a a great start to his Mizzou career Um, has been really uh, just willing to fill any role that um, that there's a void Uh, came in as a defensive lineman uh, thought you know, then came in as a tight end. We thought he might even make an eventual switch to uh, offensive line, but I think that uh, he will find a permanent home at tight end. Uh, he's just such an athletic guy, and we know you know his athletic history in, in other sports and stuff like that. Playing multiple positions in football in high school, uh, I, I think we knew that he would be capable of of filling a void on this team and making a difference at some point in his career. But I'm not sure that we saw it coming this quickly. Uh, so that's been that's been really great to see, uh, it's, and I kind of have a, uh, a special affinity for for Daniel Parker Jr. with the uh, Tiger Ten situation last year. So I I just kind of have a special place in my heart for him because uh, he you know chose Mizzou when when it wasn't cool. So it's good to see um, him making a difference right off the bat. Um, and another thing, another note on on Demaria Crockett, um, you know, mid season or maybe even before that. Um, you know, he was having a little bit slower start than I had hoped for. Um, and maybe that was just kind of him figuring out his role with all these other running backs that, you know, are capable now um, around him, maybe unlike his freshman year. But, um, yeah, I was certainly maybe a little bit questioning his um, his desire to uh, be on the Missouri roster. You know, you, you almost kind of wondered 
is he going to kind of falter and end up being third string with, you know, the emergence of Larry Roundtree and, and Tyler Beatty? Uh, but something clearly sparked in his mind, and um, I'm not really sure exactly what happened, but he's made a remarkable uh, comeback and, and turnaround, and he's, you know, really like leading the offense right now. Yeah, some of the coaches were talking about him being more of a vocal leader um, in the locker room and on the field. So um, I think with those losses that Missouri sustained, he kind of looked at the schedule and was like, he and Drew Locker kind of like, you know, well, this season isn't over. We got a lot of winnable games up um, down the schedule. So I think it's good to see that they stayed focused and then they kind of led the team back from – when, when the fans kind of turned on them, they stuck together and uh, knew that they had a, a workable schedule in front of them and they could um, still have a special season. Yeah, and this has now been almost a trend we've seen some from Barry Odom, and I don't want to uh, try to justify you know a couple of slow starts back-to-back, but um, it's good to see that these Barry Odom teams have shown um, resolve and and haven't you know he hasn't lost the locker room and uh, they've kind of banded together and to make a turnaround on on a season that they could just give up on. Yeah, definitely. Um, Vanderbilt they they kept with the uh, offensive output in the uh, second half and it looked like they were just going to march down the field again. Keyshawn Vaughn ran for another 44-yard gain. Uh, that set up first and goal at the Missouri four-yard line. But then the defense did what they've done a few times this year, and they just absolutely stuffed Vanderbilt on four consecutive runs, and they forced the turnover on downs at the Missouri one-yard line. And that is a trend I have really enjoyed seeing this year. Missouri in short yardage situations, teams going forward on fourth down to not let Missouri's offense get back out there, and the defense just steps up and, and absolutely stuffs them. Yeah, I think at this point in the game, I had just uh, come to grips that this was going to be a back-and-forth shootout until the very end, and both of these teams were going to score on just about every possession they had. Um, but yeah, props to the the Mizzou D-line and linebackers for, for being so solid on uh, short-down uh, plays this year, and I really think that might be the play of the year honestly that fourth and one stop um, was just so huge and um, the buy-in from everybody on that play was was pretty special and yeah I mean just in in football in general I feel like this year we've really seen the trend of teams going for it on fourth down Um, but that has not been an issue for this Mizzou team at all this year they've been remarkable on on fourth down all year yeah, I mean, anytime I watch my the team that I'm rooting for play, I, and the op- opponent decides to go for it on fourth down, I just is like super disappointing. I don't know, the I guess I'm super pessimistic in those situations, and I just assume that the other team is going to get it every time. Definitely, and I'm just like, no, just just punt it, just just please give the ball back to our offense. But this year, it's like, yeah, fine, go for it, see what happens. Yeah, I think I I read a stat today. I, I don't remember the exact position, but uh, Mizzou is in the top 10 in the nation as far as uh, fourth down defense this year. Yeah, that does not surprise me at all. We've seen it in big spots. So um, with what was possibly the biggest stop of the season for uh, the Missouri defense, um, the Missouri offense had a drive that followed that was every bit as good because they went 99 yards and um, they were able to get in the end zone and take their first lead of the game at 33-28. So two just back-to-back amazing possessions um, for Missouri with uh, Vanderbilt having the ball and getting stuffed and then the Missouri offense going 99 yards. It just kind of felt like, okay, they're they're here. They're going to... They're going to keep doing what they've been doing, and they've got the lead now. Everything's things turning around. I was still super stressed at this time because there was about um, seven minutes left in the game or a little more. So, um, But things were headed in the right direction. Yeah, credit to Drew Locke and the offense definitely um, on that 99-yard drive. It was so impressive, and it's been something that's kind of been a knock on Drew Locke. Um, his whole career is that he can't you know, seem to come up in the clutch situations, but that was absolutely a magnificent and masterful drive and was super clutch was that the that had to have been that drew lock ended that with a touchdown run of his own did he not was that when he ran it in yeah I, th- I think it was yeah and he's he's been pretty good at those plays those option plays where um it just gives the mizzou offense another uh dimension uh, another option that they can 
uh, go with. And, and Drew Locke has shown that he's got um, some some decent athleticism. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've said all year that that's going to be there, you know, one or two or even three times a game. So they took advantage of it in a pretty big spot and uh, took the lead for the first time there. Um, Mizzou's defense, they came out and forced a punt, and then with uh, seven minutes left, uh, everything was looking good, but then Drew Locke uh, threw an interception. Um, I'm getting, in my mind, I'm getting the two interceptions mixed up. One of them bounced right off a receiver. I can't remember if it was the this one here in the fourth quarter, but uh, Vanderbilt uh, then had the ball at the Mizzou 35-yard line following that turnover. Yeah, I think that was the one where it wasn't. I I don't think I don't. It was Drew Locke's fault. I I, I think that was probably a catchable ball that just took an unfortunate bounce, went straight up in the air. Right. Um. So uh, the defense stepped up again, though they forced another turnover on downs, and um, uh, with a five point lead and a chance to close out the game, uh, Missouri was driving down the field but then the offense stalled out at the Vanderbilt 13 yard line and then uh, what looked like a gimme field goal um, Tucker McCann unfortunately missed that that would have given them an eight point lead and um, it was sort of I was sort of thinking oh geez here we go again Vanderbilt's going to get the ball with a chance to win the game here yeah definitely Tucker McCann has has struggled with his consistency I know we've we've seen uh, the highs of Tucker McCann making like a 57 yarder to be a potential game winner at South Carolina and then we've seen the lows where we've got a chance to pretty much put the game away uh, and he's unable to do it with a very makeable field goal um, so yeah it, it's it's been disappointing that it just seems like not everyone can put it together at the same time on the team and again special teams as like we've said a million times yeah. been an issue yeah. Right. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you specifically, though, there was a whole, there was kind of an issue with um, the Vanderbilt head coach and needing to stop the clock right before that field goal attempt. And as I remember thinking at the time that the clock should have been stopped, um, there was a little kind of a check down pass to Demaria Crockett on third down. He didn't get the first down, but it, he went out of bounds. He also fumbled the ball out of bounds. So I was upset at the time thinking oh now that saves Vanderbilt a timeout um, because the clock's going to stop but then like 25 seconds went off the clock and Vanderbilt had to use a timeout late and I think um, the coach was thinking the same thing I was that the clock should have been stopped that whole time do you remember seeing that or what you were thinking there honestly I have no idea um, (laughs) why the clock was running there Uh, I just know that I'm glad that um Wow, I'm bl- completely blanking on the Vanderbilt coach's name, uh, Derek Mason. I'm really glad that right, right. he didn't notice it for a while. Um, you know, I, it's interesting to look at the other side of the coin sometimes. I know we are so harsh on Barry Odom and we're so keen and uh, hyper aware of, of things we feel like he could do differently in game. Um, but it's interesting to see that other coaches can make mistakes as well that can potentially cost them the game and if you want to look at it though and in the point that you've brought up that it may not be really a mistake on his part that the clock should have been stopped uh to be honest i i hadn't even really thought about that and i'm not really sure uh why the clock was going uh but he probably still should have been aware of of the clock situation and let 20 plus seconds run off the clock and um i just remember you know he probably realized it when the field goal team was just set and ready to go for a while right. and just milking the clock. And I looked at the play clock and there's still 20 plus seconds. I'm like, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to milk a lot of time here. And I think that's when yeah. Derek Mason realized it is, oh, wow, I just let 20, 20 seconds go off because uh, they're not doing anything. So, uh, and we'll see later in the game that I think that those 20 seconds were like a precious gold that they Huge. probably really Huge. wish they could have had back. Yeah, um, yeah. despite the clock situation, though, Vanderbilt started with a minute 48 left on their own 20-yard line, and the very first play of that drive was a sack, so they had to use another timeout, and things were looking good, but then they really started picking the defense apart, and 
luckily, like you said, that the clock situation was huge because they were moving the ball right down the field when uh, finally they got tackled inbounds and the clock kept running. And then they they eventually got the, the clock stopped with five seconds left at the Missouri 25-yard line. So they still moved the ball quite a bit in that, you know, about a minute and a half that they had there. Yeah, credit to Terry Beckner Jr. with a huge sack. I mean, they lost to like 10 or more yards on that play, I think. And then, like you mentioned, they had to burn a timeout. So that may have ended up uh, saving Mizzou on that drive, just putting them back a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I- I'm having heart palpitations again because I just don't know <laughs> if I can – I don't know if I can do this again, you know. I'm. It's, it looked exactly like the Kentucky game where, uh, you know, Vanderbilt had a small amount of time to drive down the field. Mizzou's defense was softer than a pillow, and they were doing anything they wanted and maybe – uh, some additional questionable uh, defensive scheming going on where, the, you know, they're kind of giving them a lot of space in the middle. And, um, yeah, and they've got one play with five seconds left. You know, I and I was still pretty worried. And even after the play was over, they you know, <laughs> I thought there could have been a flag. So even after yeah. the play was over, yeah. I'm thinking this might not be over. So it's just crazy yeah so i mean as you're as you're alluding to um they they threw the ball into the end zone it was broken up by cam hilton um there was another player there on the play for missouri that i think easily could have been called for pass interference i don't remember who that was off the top of my head but um hilton was the one that batted the ball away and time expired mizzou wins 33 to 28 um i think getting off a little bit lucky there if i'm gonna be if i'm gonna put take my Mizzou hat off and just try to be unbiased. If I was a Vanderbilt fan, I would be upset by that last play. Um, if that's, if the re- things are reversed there, especially with what happened to Missouri in the Kentucky game, if that happens to Missouri here, I'm probably losing my mind begging for a pass interference call. So I do think if I'm going to be completely unbiased, Missouri got lucky there but they moved to six and four on the season two and four get their second conference win and going uh to back-to-back bowl games yeah i think that's definitely fair um i watched it a couple times and it looked like the i believe it was vanderbilt's tight end it looked like he might have kind of tripped up tripped up on on himself um but i think that you're absolutely right it's very possible that could have been a pass interference on mizzou um I think I saw in an interview with with Vanderbilt's player that he kind of said, you know, it probably was P.I., but I'm not sure that you can make that call there. So a pretty uh, level-headed response from from him after probably an emotional loss. Yeah, and a lot of Mizzou fans were saying, uh, yeah, well, they've made that call in the past (laughs) against us. So I think everybody there was holding their breath and looking frantically all over the field for a little bit of yellow because um, it's bad enough that, I mean, that happens all game. Every time there's an incomplete pass, you're looking for a yellow flag. So in that situation with what had already happened to Missouri earlier in the season, it was just like, uh, you got to be kidding me. They're going to do it again. But they, they didn't. And um, Missouri made it out alive, and now they get to get the pleasure of going to a hot Tennessee team to try to get their seventh win of the season. I don't know why I so, I don't know why my mind goes yeah, here, go but if they do call the PI, Vanderbilt gets what an untimed down, probably on you know the on somewhere two yard line on the two yeah. yard line. Okay, can you imagine if we had lost? on another short yardage <laughs> untimed down. I mean, it would have been unreal. So I'm really glad that did not happen. We probably would have gotten like zero. Instead of getting five listeners, we would have got one listener because nobody would want to hear um, <laughs> us talk about Missouri losing in such excruciating fashion again. Yeah, we'd probably have to shut down the podcast for the rest of the year. <laughs> Uh, I'm just kidding. We have more than five listeners. Don't freak out, Producer Cameron. Uh, So, okay, we'll move on to a preview of Missouri's matchup with Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee is 5-5, 2-4, just like Missouri in the SEC. Their two conference wins are really big ones. They won against Auburn and Kentucky. Um, Kentucky, that was pretty much a blowout in a big rivalry game, so... um, that just happened, and they're they're gonna be riding high after that. Hopefully, we can catch them 
you know, still celebrating that big rivalry win and they'll kind of not prepare as well for Missouri. Yeah, Tennessee has been the Tucker McCann of the SEC East, if you will. Uh, they've been all over the place. Uh, but I think that they are going to be focused in this game. Um, Mizzou has um, gotten the better of Tennessee the last few years. I, I guess they lost two years ago. But uh, Mizzou's had a pretty good history with, with Tennessee since joining the SEC. Um, they're fighting for bowl eligibility and... Uh, I think they're gaining some steam. So what, at what point in the year I, I thought this might be a pretty easy win is definitely not going to be easy. Yeah, um, they, they had some close losses for sure. The, they had a really close loss to South Carolina. Um, they, they got beat by Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. So their schedule was not – their schedule was more balanced than Missouri's. So um, – I think them getting wins earlier in the season kind of makes sense, but um, they, so far they've got better wins than Missouri um, and not necessarily worse losses. So I think they're going to be a tough out. I, I, I agree with you that they're going to have something to play for. They're trying to get their sixth win and be bowl eligible. Um, they missed out on a bowl last year. And so I know uh, Tennessee fans, especially with the way they started the season, the ten- Tennessee fans are going to be really happy with a bowl berth this year um, in uh, Pruitt's first year as head coach. So they've definitely got a lot to play for. And I think it being a road game for Missouri, I, I anticipate it to be every bit as challenging as this Vanderbilt game was. If not, I mean, there's a chance Missouri is able to reverse things a little bit take the lead early and it'd be a close game and hold on but uh, i still expect it to be a close game when like you said a few weeks ago i would have predicted a road dominant a dominant road win um at tennessee here yeah it's it's going to be an interesting matchup and it'll be fun to see mizzou in such a prestigious um Stadium and on CBS, I believe, is is what that matchup's going to be on. So, right. um, yeah, I right. think it'll be a close game. And um, Tennessee is has shown they can hang with anybody, and then they've had some poor losses. So, uh, which is pretty much what Mizzou has done, also. So, um, it'll be it'll be a good game. Yeah, um, I was kind of looking over the stats from um, Tennessee's two conference wins, and they came in two very different ways. Against Kentucky, they threw for just under 200 yards and ran for over five yards per carry. And then in their win earlier in the season against Auburn, they actually had 328 yards passing and just 68 on the ground. Um, They also gave up. 24 points to Auburn and were actually outgained in total yardage, but they outgained Kentucky 412 to 262. So I think they kind of have that ability, sort of like South Carolina, that even if you're outgaining them and scoring points and sustaining drives, they're going to take advantage of any weaknesses. They're going to, um, not to the same level as, you know, a, a more well rounded team, they're going to make plenty of mistakes of their own, but I think that they, are coached well enough and they're disciplined enough to capitalize on your mistakes and sort of take advantage of your weaknesses. So as long as they don't make too many mistakes of their own, I think they'll they'll be a really tough out and and just right in this game the whole way against Missouri. Yeah, they're definitely confident. I know they came out very strong against Kentucky in the first half. I think they scored 17 of their 24 points in the first half. Um, and one of those touchdowns was literally as the half, the first half expired, they had like a very right. long pass where they kind of just uh, chucked one up and, and prayed that it got caught by by the orange team, and it sure did. So, um, but but they're very capable, and you know it's not just uh, they're not just getting lucky. They're putting up you know good and eff- efficient yards on on these good defenses. So I don't expect them to uh, to do any differently against Missouri. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, it'll be interesting to see with some of the standout players from last week if if those freshmen like Jacinto and Daniel Parker, if they're able to step up again this week because Nate Brown and Albert O are still out. Um, they're not on the depth chart for the game against Tennessee, so we're going to need some of those freshmen to step up again. And uh, I think Drew Locke's going to be looking at Emmanuel Hall a lot again in this one. All right. Any other thing? Anything else you want to say about Tennessee? 
Uh, nothing really comes to mind. Um, I think this this weekend I'm just going to. Um, we got a couple more games left of, of Drew Lock, but I was just kind of reflecting um, today about we just don't have a whole lot of chances left to watch Drew Lock play. Um, I have enjoyed seeing him in a Mizzou uniform. He's been a great player for us. It's going to be weird seeing anybody. Um, I guess I was going to say under center, but it's going to be <laughs> weird to see anybody else playing quarterback yeah. for uh, for Mizzou. So, um, man, I love Drew Locke. He's, he's a great, seems like a great kid, super charismatic, and we know how talented he is. So um, I definitely would like to see, uh, obviously, um, Mizzou get you know a couple more wins to close out the season and, and Drew Locke get some confidence on his way out the door um, into the NFL. Yeah, that's yeah. I definitely echo those sentiments because, uh, like you said, it's not going to be wearing a Mizzou uniform for much longer. Um, this is off topic, but I was watching the uh, Giants game, the New York Giants game this week, and there was a play in particular because the Giants have kind of been, you know, projected in some kind of way too early mock drafts as maybe drafting Drew Locke. Uh, they're, they're probably going to be interested in a quarterback in the draft or free agency. And there's one play that I noticed where Odell Beckham Jr. was streaking down the field. He had the defense beat and um, Eli Manning just underthrew him by about seven yards and he had to slow up and the defense got back into the play and broke it up and I was just thinking, oh, Drew Locke's going to put that right on him. He's going to, he would just salivate thinking about throwing deep balls to obj and having saquon barkley in the backfield so i know that's that's a long way off and um i don't i don't want to think about that too much because he's still wearing black and gold but uh, he's definitely going to have some good opportunities at the next level it'll be fun to see yeah he, he doesn't uh under throw many balls so he probably would have put that right on the money or or overthrew it one of the two <laughs> right I guess one more thing All about right. one more. So, yeah, go ahead. One more thing about Tennessee that I forgot to mention was uh, the Derek Dooley situation, um, and obviously this game has uh, oh, yeah, some some emotional and personal ties for uh, for him and a couple of players on uh, Mizzou's team who are from Tennessee. But uh, do you think we see some aggressive play calling from Derek Dooley in this game, or do you think that he will keep it the same? No, I think it'll be the same, and I think. Um, especially coming off a game against Vanderbilt where they really pounded the ball on the ground and really rode Crockett and Roundtree to a victory. I mean, they, they even the, the announcers mentioned it at the end of the Vanderbilt game that they were just destroying Vanderbilt at the line of scrimmage and getting an incredible push for the running backs, and the running backs were not going down on first contact. And I think that's going to be really important in these last two games and an eventual bowl game that um, just the, the balance that Dooley has brought to the offense has been it has been about a year overdue for Missouri and um, I think he will do whatever he can to win the game as soundly as possible I don't think I don't think scoring a ton of points is his thing I think if if Missouri got up 21 to 14 and they had eight minute drives the entire second half and only scored three more points um and just and that was it I think he would be absolutely thrilled with that sort of outcome I don't think he needs to score 60 points on a team to feel like he just dominated them yeah I've been super impressed with with Dooley um so far in this year and um, I am not a expert on football schematics by any stretch, but if I was going <laughs> to sit down and play a game of Madden and call some offensive plays, ideally, it would be pretty similar to how Come Derek Dooley calls NCAA a game. Football. You're playing NCAA football 15, not Madden. Oh, You're yeah, 14. That. Yeah, I don't know what Madden is. Okay, so NCAA football, you know, <laughs> got a nice you know, pass and run balance you know the the offense looks like a real offense not just chucking it deep every single play so uh i i've been really impressed with with Dooley's play calling this year and um has added a nice dimension to the team and um probably bolstered uh drew Locke's resume and uh, of things that he can do that could help him at the next level as well 
Okay, so give me a prediction and a score for Mizzou at Tennessee. I think the offense uh, gets it going in this game, and I think Mizzou wins 41-31. to 41-31? Yes. That is a pretty good idea. Um, I think it's possible uh, that it's another semi-shootout. Um similar to the Vanderbilt game, which is kind of where you're going with this. We think too much alike for these <laughs> score predictions sometimes. But uh, when I try to go off of my natural line of thinking, it doesn't end very well. So I'm going to stick with what I was kind of thinking before you said that, which was uh, 37-28. So maybe not quite as much scoring, but pretty much the same score as what you had. In favor of Mizzou. <laughs> In favor of Mizzou, yes. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked whatsoever if yeah, Mizzou loses this game, but I think they're the better team, so I think they're gonna. I think they'll pull it out. Wow, that is very insightful. Better team, isn't that? Wins some amazing that. analysis. That Mizzou is the better team. <laughs> they are going to win. Well, I, I like it. Makes sense to me. Simple. Um, hopefully, well, you're not gonna have much. Uh, more analysis the rest of this episode because there's not quite as many games to pick as usual actually there's quite a bit less uh quite a few fewer games um so in uh, sec pick'em plus nebraska i don't know if you realize this or if the listeners realize this but somebody around here had a perfect week this past week um i got eight points because I picked every game correctly. I got Tennessee's upset of Kentucky for those two extra points. And uh, you still had a good week, but uh, the the upset pick of Tennessee and me getting Florida in the win against South Carolina, that big comeback, uh, those were the difference. So, Producer Cameron, this is this is what it's like. Just enjoy this moment because <laughs> this, this is what it's like to be around a big-time talent in Cameron Albert. <laughs> and I, I really hope that you don't uh, tell anyone besides our listeners how good you've been this year at picking these games because I'm afraid you're going to get hired away and uh, you're going to be doing some <laughs> some big-time college football pick them somewhere for somebody and uh, you're going to leave this lowly podcast in the dust. Yeah, I was thinking yeah, I was thinking about taking Lee Corso's spot. I mean, he's getting kind of old, so I put on the mascot helmet and stuff like that. I think I can do that. <laughs> they could use you. Um, but uh, I would be remiss if I did not mention, uh, Producer Cameron, If you, I think you have a soundbite for me because Nebraska absolutely stomped Illinois, and I love them for it. Yeah, let me get that for you. Nebraska is back. I hated that. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the only time I'm going to want to drop that soundbite is when they beat a, an actual rival of Missouri um, in recruiting. So, uh, but it, yeah, it was fun to see Illinois get beat. Um, I think it's always good for, for the recruiting battles. So we both picked that one correctly. Uh, we, ha- we had to pick Nebraska, so we each got a point for that. And uh, we'll start off the picks this week with uh, Michigan State at Nebraska. And that's the experts think it's going to be a close one with Michigan State, just a one-and-a-half point favorite um, taking on Nebraska in Lincoln. Yeah, Nebraska, well, I guess I should say Michigan State's offense is really bad. Um, but I do think they're going to beat Nebraska um, in a close one. So I agree with Vegas. It's going to be close. But I, I'm not sure Nebraska's offense is ready to – breakthrough and and beat Michigan State all right well I am just going to keep the I love you Nebraska Nebraska I love you train rolling I'm going to pick them and try to get those two points to uh, separate myself even further so I'm going to pick Nebraska for the upset there at home you're Um, disgusting just two SEC matchups this week Uh, producer Cameron do you have something to say no (laughs) <laughs> oh, sorry i thought I, I thought i thought i heard you i thought i heard you mumble on something over there so uh just two sec matchups this week uh first off we have arkansas at mississippi state mississippi state a 19 and a half point favorite um at home against arkansas uh i'm gonna pick mississippi state because 
I actually didn't know Arkansas had a football team before this episode, uh, but I don't think they're very good since I haven't heard of them, so I'm going to pick Mississippi State. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to pick Mississippi State as well. That would be uh, one of the bigger upsets of the SEC this season if Arkansas was able to go into Starkville and pull that one out, so I, I don't anticipate that one being very close. And then last one, unfortunately, is uh, Ole Miss at Vanderbilt. So we just got to take a close look at, at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is actually a three-point home favorite against Ole Miss. Uh, I think I like Ole Miss here. I'll go with the upset pick. Um, I think Vanderbilt is just crushed mentally after that emotional loss last week, and they'll never return, at least not this year. Yeah, I, I mean – I, that wouldn't surprise me if they just, you know, kind of spiral out of control the rest of the season. But um, I, I really think that their season mirrors Missouri's in that they've just been right there in, in several of these games and just can't quite get over the hump, even when they've been performing pretty well and ha- had a and they have a decent team overall. So I think. I'm just going to go ahead and pick Vanderbilt, even though it, it doesn't really make sense with the, the three-point spread and you possibly getting the two points for picking the upset. But I'm going to pick Vanderbilt just because I think they're due, basically. And that, you know, um, any statistician would tell you that when teams are due, goes again. you know, they're they're just... When a, when a shooter is due for a, a make, when a... When a baseball players do for a home run you know it just it just happens that way when a bad team keeps losing they're gonna win eventually <laughs> um i yeah i just i i right i, I mean we saw that I in agree nebraska with you, that they probably are due but i don't know if that they can keep up with uh the ole miss offense unstoppable train that is ole miss offense yeah that that's that's definitely possible yeah i'm kind of i feel like i'm kind of going out on a limb but vegas says three points now it's still early in the week when i pulled that number but that, that could change so well you got we'll some wiggle happens, rooms but, to uh, actually to lose some games so yeah <laughs> um i forgot to mention the overall score for this uh the sec pick i'm at, i'm at 45 points now and kyle you are at 34 points so i'm doing um, unfortunately with <laughs> a lot of these <laughs> exactly uh, a lot of these SEC teams playing cupcakes. Uh, I didn't really want to pick any of those, so um, just not a, not a lot of games to pick this week. So not much of an opportunity. But we're we got two of the three. We're picking different teams, so there's a chance for you to get some points. Sounds good. Anything else you have for the folks? Uh, this I think, as far as I can tell, this uh, me being remote from the state of Texas. Um, seem to have worked fairly well we'll see when producer cameron starts getting the audio together if it was a complete disaster or not but um if you've listened this far thanks for for bearing with us and any awkward pauses that we weren't able to edit out so um, i don't have anything else for the folks yeah i think that's going to do it for me and uh you can find this podcast on itunes google play music spotify you can tweet us at mizzou sports pod you can email us at missourisportspod at gmail.com. Wow, Kyle, um, I apologize. I didn't change the Twitter handle in the uh, in the typed-up outro. So I'm laser-focused this week. You just right through that. I'm all over it. <laughs> um, and you can, uh, like usual, find me on Twitter at C underscore Albert 08. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>